pretty sick or something. Sick or something. Sick or sick or something. Right? I bet, I bet you really think I'm sick. Yo, what the fuck is good? Welcome to another episode of I'm Not Sick But I'm Not Well. My name is Echo. You know it's weird? Like, I don't rap on my own podcast uh, uh, intro. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people would expect that I would have made a song for my podcast intro. It would work. You know? <laughs> but I also think it's... I just made someone a podcast intro. Uh which is like super random. Oh, you did that for someone else. I did that for somebody else. Interesting. Well, then you already know Echo fans. Go to that podcast. Extremely and, random. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can hit that up if you uh if you're in like comic books and shit. His name is Donnie Cates. He's a comic book writer for Marvel. He, him and his wife started a podcast. It's it's pretty dope. Mm. Um, but anyways, uh today good friend of mine. Uh he's been on the podcast before in the in the past. Um we we we've been trying to get back in here for a minute. Mm-hmm. I think we both been super busy, and then uh, the world started coming to an end. Yeah, and then uh, you know, COVID happened, and right. then now all this other shit's happening, and yeah, tensions are high, and things are flaring, and there's never been more to talk about. Oh, I guess no. if you if you really uh, look at everything and think about it, so there's there's not really anyone I really wanted to talk to as much as you because I know we'll be able to get into some good shit. So without further ado, this is Rasar. Hey, what it do be? Hey, yo, thank you so much, my man. Uh, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Yeah. It's, uh, I, now that I think about it, this is the first time I've seen you since all of the things you just mentioned. I haven't seen really anybody since uh, all this shit's been going on. Yeah. Like, like just a whole little three months kind of erased yeah uh from a lot of interaction and uh so yeah to be back here uh to create some normalcy you know doing something like this yeah definitely so i'm I'm just glad to be back what have you been up to since uh since covid oh man well you know i haven't seen you since i talked to you uh i think a little while ago when you were driving back home from sacramento yeah yeah no we had some good talks and actually you know uh that was really important for me, actually. I think we had maybe two or three good calls, I think. Um, and I appreciate you. Uh, just us kind of going back and forth. I think we were uh, talking back and forth. But yeah, I was driving back. I stayed with my parents for like a month, like right when the things got a little crazy. I was going to stay here in Vegas. And, you know, just, you know, I'm already a hermit, so it's not really, you know... It ain't much difference for me to not go anywhere for days or weeks at a time. Has your life changed much since? Mm, not exactly internally. I guess the biggest shift has been not seeing my guys in the leak, which, you know, we pretty Did much... Did you guys all completely self-quarantine? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, uh, we... Have you been quarantined the whole time? Uh, yeah. Um, I think... Well, I've, more recently, I've started to um, do a little bit of there's like a basketball situation where, and it's been good to get out there and run with some guys. And where have you been playing at? Uh, because well, most you used of the to gyms play are the, closed. Yeah. All the gyms are closed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm snitching or something, <laughs> you know, like as far as I Who's know. Open? Yeah. Um, there's this out here. It's this gym called Tarkanian and it's more of like a, it's not like a gym gym. It's more like a basketball institution and they've reopened their doors. It's not even like, it's not exactly a secret, but 
I guess we're not like totally promoting it, but you know, there there's other people that use it there anyway. But um, I'm excited. I get to go back to the gym for the first time. What later today? What which gym? Plan- oh, I guess you get a <laughs> no. I yeah. mean, Planet Fitness opened. Yeah, which really? I was gonna. I only have my membership for Planet Fitness because when I go on the road, mm, there's it's fucking Planet Fitness everywhere. Huh? Everywhere. Interesting. So I would have one just in case I wanted to drop in somewhere on tour, and mm. I just forgot to cancel it once I got back home. And I was like, "Fuck it!" So I checked it, and they yeah. they open like today. So oh, dope, dope. It's it's good. It's it's gonna be good to get back in there, man. It's like and to even be around people, regardless of how dis. Even if you and I, who maybe don't always interact with strangers and start up conversations, you do kind of undervalue maybe just being around people in in a non service way, just like yeah. you know. Kind well, of socially. I noticed how much, because I, I work out of my house, so I'm always here pretty much in this fucking room. Mm-hmm. So my time outside of here was extremely important, more important than I ever like really thought about, because mm-hmm. that's the only time I really get outside mm-hmm. of this room. Whereas I feel like a lot of people, uh, when this happened, were used to working outside and just being back home, and then it got to kind of flip I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I need some sort of normalcy and some sort of uh, ability to to be in the outside world, even for a little bit. It does make a huge difference mm-hmm. yeah. on things. But it sucks that it comes at, at, at such a time like like now because things are things are nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sure. How do you how do you feel about everything? Whew. Isn't that a broad? Isn't yeah. that a broad? How do you, uh, uh, George Floyd and all, all the protests right, going on? Right. I mean, I already knew that's where you were going with that. Um, it's a lot, man. And that's an understatement. But, you know, um, actually, when you reached out to me, because I knew you, I got that rare text from you, because I know you're not a text guy. Yeah. And, you know, and you were just straight up like, come through and podcast, dude, or something like that. And, um, and I really had just been thinking about you. Like I really, like within a matter of like ten minutes, I had been thinking because I had just got home from something, and I was like, "Man, I ain't talked to him in a minute. I was gonna call you, and then it was just getting situated, and then you texted me." And at that time, which was like Thursday or Friday, I actually hadn't seen the video, and I hadn't studied the other things that have been, you know, making this whole situation culminate to what it is. Because yeah. I think one of the first things I understand is that it's not just George Floyd. That's like the thing. And not that you said it was, but I'm saying uh, that was like the last straw to where we are. But also, um, of course, I I forget the guy's name right now. It's like uh, Arbery, the guy that was in Georgia who got hunted down in broad daylight, the jogger. So that was that was just happening. The whole Central Park Karen thing that happened. Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor, you know, and just so just those three things. And at that point, you know, just for my own and especially going with the theme of this thing, like for my own mental health. I can't be about that all the time. Not even like uh, whether or not I choose to support the cause, but like it's it's crushing, man. Uh, it's something that's very difficult to constantly wear on your shoulders, to constantly walk with, and I do. Um, so I actually hadn't looked. I was aware of all of that, but I didn't look at anything. So when you hit me, I didn't understand the severity of where we were. I knew that there were protests, but I expected that. I knew that, okay, they killed another black dude, you know, 
unjustful, you know, unjust sort of action from the cops. What else is new? And yeah. I was like, yeah, people are going to be mad and people might even burn shit. I was like kind of on that. So I was like, I don't need to see this. I'll, if it's crazy enough, I'll find out. Then I looked. I was like, oh, like I, I knew I'm still not surprised at anything that's happened, essentially. Yeah. But it was like, wow, they have really taken it up there. Like everybody's aware now. Everybody gives a fuck. And for once, no one's blaming the victim that I'm aware of. Like, yeah, that's the first time I've seen because that's that's another thing that makes all of this thing so difficult is that, you know, I don't get into debates, really. I don't even discuss with people like that. But um, I've witnessed it about how people always be like, well, what was he doing? Or like, he shouldn't have did this. And it's not even that like I've hasn't I, I'm sure there's someone, but I haven't even seen that. And yeah. that's different. There's a. It's it's. I mean, it's hard. I, I find myself not really knowing what to say mm. and not not wanting to speak unless I'm educated about, you know, what's really going on. Mm. And me not being afraid as a white person to say that I, I don't know. You know, I think there's a lot of people. Um, I think there's a lot of white people that are afraid to, to say they don't know or to ask. Mm. You know what I mean? The first, one of the first things I did was call uh you know a, a friend of mine you know what i mean it was just like yeah. hey man like talk to me yeah you know what i mean like i just want to know where you're coming from mm. i want to know you know to try and wrap my head around like i can't put my my feet in your shoes mm-hmm. you know nobody that that's such a a a term that people use but it's impossible mm. there's no way there's no way if you're ingrained to feel a certain way think a certain way from the time you're born for however many years to try and put yourself in those shoes and never be able to. So I just, you know, try and educate myself about the situation, about what's going on and about the history. Mm. You know what I mean? And, you know, about, it, it, I think it's so interesting. We're dealing with, uh, you know, the COVID disease right now. And if you think about racism as a disease, and these are symptoms of, mm. of, of this disease that's, killing people mm-hmm. you know and then we finally are, are people are finally talking about and it's finally taking seriously mm. and uh yeah i mean for my mental health it, it was important for me to try and stay off stay away from the negativity but I, I i found myself being pulled back to it just because i'm i'm seeking to see what's going on mm-hmm. you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and i'm a i'm a rebellious anti-authority <laughs> um person by nature Mm -hmm. and this situation itself to me is is unique in a way that you know i went to the i was at the protest two days ago Mm. two nights ago the one where the cop was killed Mm. or not killed i think he's in critical condition right now one cop was shot in the head i actually wasn't aware of that yeah one shot one cop was shot in the head he's in critical condition one protester was killed um it was like a five hour long protest. It went from Trump Tower up the strip almost to like Caesars and then all the way downtown hmm. to like a like beauty bar area. Oh wow. And uh it went on for like five hours. Complete it was a peaceful for the most part until the very end. When a, when a few people, you know, 
because there are opportunists that are going to take an opportunity to to do some shit. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. But um, just being there firsthand and seeing what was going on, because I I had had something pulling me to just want to do something, to want to you know be a part of something, to to lend my voice, you know. On a humanistic level, this is an important thing. And the one main thing I'm, I I took away from that protest is there's a lot of people with a lot of resentments, a lot of people against police, against shit like that. I think the main problem is too many people taking their own shit mm-hmm. with them to a protest that should be about other people. You know what I mean? Mm, I see yeah. a, lot, a lot of the shit that was starting, you know, I understand people hate cops. I get it. You know what I mean? But when you go to a protest for Black Lives Matter and you see some white people yelling at cops, like, fuck you. It's like, it's not about your beef with cops. You know what I mean? Like, you're mm. you're here, f- like, it's it's about something else. You know what I mean? I don't want to take my, like, I'm not like, fuck you mm-hmm. for me. You know what I mean? It's like, fuck you for them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the whole thing has just been kind of a, a learning experience of me just trying to, wrap my head around around what's going on and and that's why you know it's just it's just been crazy and i don't what where do you think this goes what what how do you feel about the protests and mm-hmm. and all that kind of shit i know well, you're like also uh uh an activist mm-hmm. you know what i mean you you've mm-hmm. all, you're always outspoken you're in your music you 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 always touch on these subjects and mm-hmm. you're outspoken about you know your beliefs and the things you think in and the 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 things you hold to be true. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was very important to get your input. Mm. Man. Mm-hmm. Um, well, to even go back to your discussion with Locksmith, that must have been something um, that's a good big bro to have because, you know, him being in the Oakland area, the whole Bay Area, I mean, the, just the history when we understand. I mean, I don't know where he lives now, but I just know that, you know, he reps the Bay. Yeah, he's um, still out there. Okay, well, you know, just even you talk about history, how important the Black Panther Party is, yeah. Um, and even like the Weather Underground, which is, you know, some people might even you know, people might not like this uh, comparison, but it's kind of like Antifa because the Weather Underground was like this group of white people who were basically tired of everything that was going on, and they saw what was going on with the civil rights movement and things like the Black Panther Party. And Black Panther Party was for black people only and there but there were people who weren't black that wanted to help and i and i've watched the documentary on the weather underground and they were like allies but then unfortunately um you know they had different methods and there were there was some violence and that also brought more pain upon the the people of color because they because they were doing it in the name of uh, uh of black plight and and they kind of blew up some shit you know and um you know, uh, it 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 just kind of stirred up the pot more, and that's kind of what's going on with Antifa. And uh, but even not only Antifa, the other thing to understand is because I'm not a member, so I don't know everything that they're about. But also, there's always been agent provocateurs, and I think that's something that's really important for people to understand, especially when we talk about like the looting. It's interesting that you said that you saw a lot of people like yelling at cops. Like everyone feels angry, and um confused scared sad but there are definitely agent provocateurs and i'm glad that right one of the things i'm glad about right now is the clarity that's happening is that as it relates to you know groups like the black panther party um and all the groups that have come since then 
there's been this thing, it's uh, a part of the FBI called COINTELPRO. It's a counterintelligence program. It's been going on at least since the 60s. And J. Edgar Hoover was behind that. And there's tons of documents, uh, internal documents, many of them, you know, they have stuff that's been like redacted or like, you know, covered up. But um, basically, they purposely put out agents out there to dress up just like there's undercover cops. There are uh, government agencies and law enforcement that go out there purposely to stir up shit. And they're usually, sometimes they're, they might be, you know, they get black people to sell themselves out, but a lot of times it'll be white people or other people, other non, it's not strictly black and white, but it'll be other people who either way, no matter what they are, uh, they're not of the cause and, um, it makes shit a lot worse. Um, so I think that's one of the things is everybody's like, oh, they shouldn't be looting. They shouldn't be doing all that. But there's a lot of videos showing that they're like, there's literally people setting bricks out there and they're not the protesters. There's like people riding by in cars and like, just dr- like handing bricks to people like who were otherwise doing peaceful protesting. Now, whether or not someone chooses to use that brick, then that's on them. But there's also like videos of like, in Sacramento, you know, I'm like my brother, Mati Bush, who's a, you know, a rapper out there I've known for a long time. And you know, he's seen videos, he's a, he, he's in the hip-hop community, you know, graffiti's a part of that, and they recognize, like, the fonts. Like, if you're a graph head, you know, you know who's getting up where, and they recognize yeah. when there's outsiders. And so they started being like, yeah, this ain't, this ain't the community. You can tell these aren't, like, real writers, and they're putting, like, BLM, but they're putting it, like, on businesses and things. It's like, yo, we're not destroying our own community. This is outside people coming in doing this. Yeah. This is not us. And... I think that's one of the things where I've been hesitant and um, exactly how I'm going to apply myself and why, you know, reading books like The Art of War and things like that make it clear that sometimes you have to assess the terrain and your first, second, third move aren't always the best thing. And, and, and so it's been difficult because I do know the history of that. It's kind of like you're being led to slaughter sometimes in those situations with protests. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it ever, but uh, it's always been that way where people come in with one agenda and then other people decide, and then they put that on the news and then that justifies further violence. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's scary. Um, so that's why I actually haven't been a part of it physically because also it's, it's just so much where it's like, you know, sometimes you just don't know what to do because the thing is, we've been marching for so long. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay. Every it's it's not to vilify that because there's different things that you can do. But it, I I made a rare post about this um, on Monday, I think it was, and I put ten pictures because they don't let you put ten right now on Instagram. And I put up ten pictures of everything back to Rodney King. You know, I was born in 1985, and that was the first time that the nation saw like police brutality in that level. Like we had never seen it. Um, even me being so young, just older people like had never seen, it had never been on the news yeah. like that. And so, I mean, my, that's how that, you know, talk about childhood shattered. You know what I mean? I'm five years old and I don't understand. All I know <laughs> is there's this black dude being beaten by four different cops and no one stopping to help him. And then they got off. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> That's literally been my whole life of that kind of thing in the background. But for a long time, this wasn't known, but it's been building and building. And it seems like I was talking to, you know, my big bro, DJ Rock Bottom. And um, 
I don't remember it being like this to where the you could say, yeah, we know more about it now because there's more recordings. And that is something. But it also does seem like things are turning up. Like not only is it being recorded more, but I don't think that negates the fact that, I mean, there's more people. There's a further disparity between the haves and have nots. Uh, People have gotten smarter about how they, uh, how they weaponize their racism. And maybe I know I can go on forever on this. So maybe to kind of bring this point in, um, you know, we don't really see the clan anymore. The clan exists for sure. But uh, we don't really see them doing their thing like that. And what they got hip to was, you know, about, you know, maybe 30 years ago, they realized we can't just or even further. But they realized you can't just like walk through the streets in your hoods like that. But what you could do is you could start finding ways to infiltrate groups, namely the fraternal order, the police. Like, that's another thing. Not all the cops are, but there there are more than people would like to know. uh avowed racists and people who are members of those sort of groups yeah and it is basically in look i guess one thing would be to look at it this way if you hated people and you wanted to kill them and you come from a group that has a history of terrorizing uh people of color but you still haven't been it's funny trump made antifa a terrorist group tried tried yeah that has not happened for the kkk yet now that's interesting. I have not even thought about that. You know, like yeah. literally have a history of lynching people and their whole thing. You know, it's it's kind of wild. Uh, or even like Black Lives Matter, like they tried to make that like a terrorist group, you know, enemy combatants. And it's like, what about these guys? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they realize like it's not cool for us to go out there in the white hoods and all that. And we can still burn crosses here and there. But uh, if I want to kill black people shit i could literally just become a cop and um i'll get away with it and i'll just get paid leave why not i think i mean i really like what you said about people have become smarter about the way they they weaponize their racism and the mm-hmm. way they they can go about uh you know these things and it, even like when you look at like the george floyd situation you know on its own as just the, there's one there's one man with with the with his knee on the neck which you know you look at like the people around you know the odds of having four completely you know totally uh you know racist cops in, in one spot at the same time probably not the case but there's one and then the three around are complicit and don't do anything mm-hmm. maybe not racist Maybe maybe not knowingly racist. Hmm. You know what I mean? But there's that ingrained part in, in certain people that views people of different colors as lesser or as criminal. Or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the the way to stop that, I, how, how do you even stop that? How do you battle that? How do you start to even, you know, take a step towards that? You know, interesting... Um yeah they that's where we start talking about that's what systemic racism is for sure institutional racism but i would say um there is a propensity for violence within police officers you know you got to also look at their background a lot it's interesting like they are um when you look at like their history it's kind of like the priests 
a lot of times, you know, a priest rapes not just a child, but many. Uh, they don't usually go to jail ever. They don't even use it. Does happen there? There's a few precedents, but it's rare. But what they do get is they get moved around. Yeah, and they don't tell them what's popping in the new place. That's what happens with cops a lot of times. Like they'll get fired, they'll get turned. So if they like. If I could maybe contextualize this really quick, there's this dude named, I believe his name was Christopher Dorner. You may remember in 2012, there was this, it was actually a a cop. It was an ex-officer, LAPD, and I think he had been like a Marine. It was this black dude on LAPD, and he just went rogue. But they didn't know who it was at first, but this dude started offing cops all over LA, um, and that scared the hell out of people. It was just... Cause they didn't know who it was at first. He was just offing them. And, but the way he was doing it was like, this dude knows what he's doing. Like, this is a professional. And then they figured out what it was. And then they were like, and then he was on the run and it didn't last too long, but for a minute it was like a little bit of mayhem. Like there's this dude just randomly killing cops, but it wasn't so random. It was very specific. The part that got down and then eventually, you know, he ran out to the mountains and they found him in some cabin and they definitely killed him. But one thing that got downplayed is this dude had a manifesto. And, you know, when people do things that are considered reprehensible to society like that, because at the end of the day, most people don't like to uh, champion that. Although, at the very least, many people understand that. It's difficult for some people to be like, yeah, I get you were wronged, but maybe you shouldn't have killed all those cops. Like, that's not cool. Some people feel that way. Um, His manifesto was worth reading. Just like, you know, the Unabomber had a manifesto. A lot of these crazy, I'm not equating him with that, but I'm saying people who do these heinous acts or or unthinkable acts, sometimes there's a little more structure to what they're doing. It it starts somewhere. There's a little more reasoning behind that. And it's one of the longest things I've read. I actually didn't, it was like this long email. And I remember I was scared to receive the email. It was like forwarded to me. And it took me like an hour to read, um, and I didn't even finish it. Um, but what he did was he was an he was an LAPD, and he basically broke down. He had names, places. He basically explained how racist the LAPD is, and he wasn't saying in like some abstract sense. He named his superiors. He named his associates. He talked about how they, you know, like you know, Trump talked about. And I'm not blaming this on Trump, but I'm saying like, uh, you know, I mean, this is 2012. But I'm just saying how you talked about like, you know, there's this whole thing about like locker room talk or someone, somebody said something yeah. about that in relationship to, to his situation. Um, how they talk, because there's a code way people talk like off camera or, or, and that's where he realized, oh shit, like it's, it's even the people I thought were cool. And he, but he broke it down like by name and he gave like particular instances and he talked about like some of the practices that are also like you know there's this blue shield of silence where like this is common across the board like across the nation not all are like this but it happens in so many different places where there's like it's not just a few bad apples like that's a played out term because the problem is like because you're talking about being complicit there's everybody knows what's going down and if you don't if you if you're not down with it like they'll get you out of there like yeah. either you'll lose your job or you know something else might happen to you what we think about, you know, like if, if you <clears throat> even just joining a new social circle, mm. 
you know, back when you were in school or, or even now when you start a new job or something like that and, and you, you ingrain yourself into a new social circle and maybe those people have a certain, you know, set of beliefs that aren't like extreme or anything like that. But, you know, it could be something as simple as whatever. All these people like the office or some mm-hmm. bullshit like that. Mm-hmm. And they always talk about it. And it's always like kind of an, an underlying thing and inside jokes and all kinds of shit like that. If you want to be accepted and you want to fit in and you want to be a part of that, you're going to have to ingrain that in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I look at it as I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that will get into the force with great intentions. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, once you get there, it's it's you know once you once you pull the curtain back it's not the same as as you thought it was mm-hmm. and then if you want to play you got to play by the same rules and, and i don't claim to know what it's like in any you know certain and in, in any kind of you know precinct or anything like that i'm sure there's uh probably some that are worse than others and and things like that but yeah it, it's it's i can imagine that that being completely ingrained in something like that and, and an underlying issue. I mean, you even look at like the, uh, you know, the protests that, that people did for COVID where there's a bunch of white <laughs> people that in DC with, with fucking automatic weapons, there's no excuse. The excuse of, you know, cops saying historically, uh, you know, if, if there's an excuse for a cop to say that, you know, I felt threatened because, you know, black people with guns that that's a threat mm-hmm. historically white people with automatic weapons is a massive threat literally you know what i mean yeah straight up and that's okay that's mm. you know these are good people mm. that just want to get back to work but if people are speaking out against you know crimes or things done against them then mm. they're thugs and right that's cr- see that's crazy right there that's that that's that double standard shit because it's like I think that's where a lot of the pain and anger I think that's where people do start tearing up shit and burning down things because it's like like we can't even exist you know like me existing is a crime and that's a problem so it's like also you have a right to defend yourself and I think that there's this there's this uh unfortunate thing where the cops have been above the law and I think that what people are saying, like, I don't think the way it's been going is going to continue to work. If people think that just simply protesting, I think that things are going to escalate. I think that um, there's been people who've tried to retaliate. But honestly, I think a lot of people don't do that because they fear death. Once you get to a point, and I think we're headed that way, where the masses do not fear dying, I think that you will see people not allowing what has been happening to happen and that's where I think where they start bringing in more of the National Guard or the military and things like that. Because what you have is what makes it so problematic is like, like what you're saying, you were saying like, you know, they're allowed to walk around with guns. I've seen a video where like they were in an open carry state, not related to protest, but there was an open carry state just to show how there's double standards. And it had a a white guy walk down the street, I believe with an AK-47 on his back, like in broad daylight by the cops and around people and nothing happened on the exact same street about 20 minutes later they had a black guy and they stopped him immediately and people like hey hey what are you doing and it was the same guy it was the same gun same area within the same time frame and it's things like that not that you i'm not even i don't have an ak i'm not saying you should do that but i'm just saying 
it's like literally the only difference was it was a black guy doing it. He didn't he didn't make any threatening moves or looked or anything like that. And it was legal. And I think that's the issue. Or I've seen videos of like, first of all, uh Black people do not have the monopoly on being attacked uh, and even killed by cops. I've definitely seen videos of white guys being murdered by cops. It's it's rare in comparison, but it definitely happens. And yeah. I definitely want to acknowledge that uh, it it's just that it's so disproportionate. But more so what I've seen, I've seen videos to your point about basically acknowledging that double standard. I've literally seen videos and something that black people rarely have the luxury of is fighting with the cops. Like, I've seen multiple videos of, like, and that goes to show that kind of exposes the bullshit about, like, cops not knowing the protocol or, like, you know, acting in a need-to-know basis or, or, like, acting on their instincts when they're faced with clear and present danger. I've literally seen them know, like, not even bust the taser out. And I've seen a dude get, a cop get choked out by a dude and, and wait for, like, backup. And he just tussled with the guy and they eventually subdued him, but they didn't. They didn't tase him. They didn't shoot him. They didn't put him in no crazy like headlock. They they didn't even return the exact same thing. He just subdued him. And there's I've seen that before. And that shit's infuriating because it's like you have people. Even when I saw the George video, it was like you know he said I can't breathe. And to me, I think that was maybe the first time a lot of people had heard that. I'm like that's Eric Garner. Literally, there yeah. was all these T-shirts. I'm like history repeats itself. I can't that those were the literal words I can't breathe I was like and that just goes to show how much of a fuck people don't care like those people that are doing that don't care so what I'm saying is and this is kind of what my post was getting at is I don't think being nice I don't think diplomacy and I don't think that turning the other cheek and being kumbaya about it is going to stop this I do this is why I while I don't promote the violent aspects of protests. I don't think that doing a song or walking to the streets, waving a sign or asking for help or even writing, voting out senators or anything. I don't think that's going to stop it. People of that sort of mind state respond to two things, money and violence. Mm. I'm not historically a violent person, but I understand that when you reach a certain point where the social contract has been broken and you're literally saying, I can't breathe, and you have people watching, like that's what makes the George uh, thing so problematic is that like there were witnesses, all the safeguards that we've been told, like that we've been fighting for in modern times. It's like, well, maybe if they had, you know, body cams or, you know, if there were other people watching, you should record. There's all these things, mm-hmm. you know, he, everything that was supposed to happen, happened, and he still got killed. At that point, you cannot be surprised when people start exacting revenge as it's happening. I think yeah. as, as someone who is of the group that's constantly targeted, I, I do find it supremely uh, disappointing dis, uh, and depressing that, the most that you could do. And I have to think about what would I do in that situation as an observer? I'm usually like mind your own business kind of person, but yo, if that was me and there's 20 people around and this dude's killing me and I can't defend myself, please fucking help me. I don't give a fuck if he has a badge, shoot that motherfucker. That's how I feel at this point. And I think other people will. I'm a human. I don't care if this, what this person's title is. 
this is wrong and and the protocol isn't working anymore so i think where it's it's going to have to get to stop is if you're killing someone regardless of who you are or what you do if you get killed on site i think they might start second guessing it that's where i'm at yeah why i mean i i i agree that dude has a badge but he's still killing someone on the side of the street. It's still someone being murdered on the side of the street. And that that person wasn't in a cop uniform. If there's you know any I mean? other person in the world. But but that goes back to your point of people are afraid. The people are afraid. They're mm-hmm. afraid that they'll get shot. They're mm-hmm. afraid of, of what they'll have to, the repercussions they'll have to face mm-hmm. because of something like that. And, you know, I agree with the point of, you know, when people are, aren't afraid anymore, mm-hmm. that's when, when the, the, all this shit starts to happen. And I think that's what the government's afraid of. Mm. Government's afraid of people not being afraid because, you know, if you're in fear, you're subdued and, you know, you're going to obey the rules because you're afraid. You know, at one at, at some point, people are going to have to start obeying the laws of, of the country because they love the country, not because they're afraid of the repercussion. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there seems to be no repercussion for someone with a badge whatsoever. And so it goes to the same thing of, uh, and this is on both sides that I was seeing that the way you act with a little bit of power is a true judge of someone's character, you know? And when you look at a cop who feels, you know, I can do what I want without, with seemingly with no provocation, Nothing's going to happen. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the same way some women act when they talk to men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I definitely see that. Um, it's the way that, you know. Because you can't hit me back because that's not socially acceptable. So yeah. I'm going to talk to you any sort of way knowing that. And it's like, and some, you know, um, domestic abuse domestic abuse is not cool but there have been some women that found out like some people will hit you back <laughs> and it's yeah. like it's like i've never done that and i've never been in that situation but it's like the the rule should be don't put your hands on people period yeah and if you provoke somebody that you know cannot do anything back you're 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 a bitch that's bullying period. that's bullying man and uh it's unfair what what i what what i mean when i say i see it on both sides is too, when you look at the protests, it's like, you know, if, if it's, it's flipped where the people have power, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And instead of, you know, what's the right thing to do once you have that power, because mm-hmm. now it's, it's, it's somebody with power that, you know, throws something at a cop and then walks back and puts their hands up. Like you can't touch me. It's like, this is, we're dealing with the same mm-hmm. thing here. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of power. You think you can do what you want because they can't touch you. Mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. so is 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 the answer giving somebody a taste of their own medicine is the answer being bigger than that is the answer you know having the power and then and then doing the right thing with it mm-hmm. or or do we not know what the right thing is? or is it like fuck the right thing it's about doing what needs to be done for change i'm more with that because you know <clears throat> i mean I'm Mr. Love, Peace, and Joy, right? Like, that's, I have a song called I Am with the leak, and that's what we're known for. And, uh, 
you know, I've had to deal with that. Like, no one's like called me out, like, you know, you hypocrite. But I've explained when we do that song live that like, you know, I say it and that can never be destroyed. <clears throat> Times like this are an example of where, you know, love isn't expressed in the exact same way all the time. There's different degrees of love. And then for peace, um, you know, in order to bring peace is about balance. So if you're already out of balance, then you have to do the things to correct it. And it may be difficult. It's like experiencing turbulence on a plane. Um, you know, you could die. Um, and then it gets rough and we're all scared while they're correcting the path or taking us to a higher elevation or slowing down or whatever. But at, at that time, even while they're making it better, it's it's tumultuous. But in, sometimes in the level of correction, um, in the experience of that, it, it gets rougher before it gets easier. And so I think that that's not contradictory to be like, you know, I'm about peace and love and joy, but I'm also like, kill anyone who threatens your life. I don't see that as a contradiction only because the peace, love, and joy is a constant that it, it's like if we're water and we are mostly weight of water, we're mostly made of water. So it's like when the waters are troubled, ultimately, you know, water finds its own level. Mm-hmm. But while the tides are shifting, it's, it's crazy and water can kill you, it can drown you, all these other things. But it's finding its level again. But everything in the middle of chaos is game at that point. Like to the point of like Joker, you know what I'm saying? Like I was, I've been thinking about this a lot, how, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn and, you know, or just like that whole, even that whole thing, like in dark Knight, where, you know, he just burned all that money. Yeah. Cause it wasn't about the money. That's chaos. And there is beauty in chaos. Uh, as someone who prefers order, <laughs> I yeah. definitely prefer, you know, not that I'm the most orderly person, I do prefer like the predictability of life and, and, peace but i do know that there's a freedom in uh chaotic times because we're just trying to find balance and i genuinely feel that um you know there's this thing called social mores that basically just goes to show that morality is subjective um we'd like to think that there's like universal truths of what is and it isn't acceptable, but that's why it's hard to speak in absolutes about behavior because you never know what you would do in a certain situation. And yeah. a lot of things are justified given the circumstances. So, yeah. you know, have you seen the movie, uh, beasts of no nation? No, I've been evading that movie for years. Cause I knew it'd be heavy. Uh, it just Elba is in it. And that's probably the only person any of us would know. And it's about the child soldiers in uh, in Africa. Usually you're talking about, you know, Uganda, but I think it's a different country. They talk about Nigeria in there. I don't know where it is. But uh, anyway, it's about child soldiers. And the things that they do are horrible, like unspeakable. Like, And the, the crazy thing is, even though this is a movie, I've seen documentaries on this. Like there's a documentary. Before Coney, there was this documentary called Invisible Children. And I actually made a point to watch that in the middle of all this because one, I needed kind of as catharsis, I needed to see something extremely violent straight up. Like I needed that. And I also needed something to also give me perspective and acknowledge that um, 
not everything. We are not the only people struggling. And that's another thing to remember. That's why the world is looking and speaking up. That's why, you know, they're protesting over in Japan, because everyone has experienced oppression around the world somewhere. And I think that's, it's important to keep in mind that this is a global issue. And this is a human rights violation. And in, in those situations, when you retaliate in a certain way, not to justify what child soldiers do, but yeah. it's hard to blame them when you understand how they get there. Even though if you were a victim of that, you would not want to forgive them. But in the larger context, look at how they got there, how they're being forced and what their what their options are. So when people start to retaliate in a way that is immoral, I don't really have judgment of that at that point when we're in a state of chaos where no one is respecting the social contracts. That's a good point. Uh and I understand the idea of, yeah, you can be about peace, but a lot of times peace, the pathway to peace is not a peaceful pathway. <laughs> you know what I mean? The pathway to peace is, is violent mm. and it's, it's rough. Um, and you know, when I, when I look at whatever's going on and however people are acting, it's like, I, I can't, I, it's, it goes back to the same thing. It's, it would be easy and convenient there's convenient logics that a lot of people like to have. And a lot of that has to do with the morality of things Mm -hmm. that, you know, I, how can I judge the way somebody else acts when we weren't, we didn't come up the same way where I don't know the way you think. I don't understand what, you know, what certain factors go into every decision you make. It's completely different than, than, what I do. Hmm. So me to judge an action that you make is, is that makes no sense. Hmm. There's, there's no, it's not fair to do that, but you can try and, you know, I think that's what a lot of people are are trying to do, especially, you know, people that are, are, you know, privileged uh, either financially or, or race or things like that, like to, to look at these things and, you know, don't understand the damage or the violence or, or things like that. And I'm not saying, I mean, a lot of times, yeah, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, uh, fucking a bit like small businesses Mm -hmm. in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's fucked up. Yeah. No matter what, especially with everything that's been going on. We've been told our whole lives that actions speak louder than words. And then when, when change really needs to happen, they want to tell you to use your words. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm. And they don't want people to act. They don't want people to do things. But when we have to go to war, you know, for something that benefits the government or, or benefits, you know, people's, people's pockets Mm -hmm. that are in the upper 1%, then it's all right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But that goes back to the same thing. It's it's part of the plan. It's, and it's they don't okay. fight those fights if I could just join. They don't. They, exactly. They fight these. They fight proxy wars. In fact, sometimes they don't even use us. They actually use like, you know, mercenaries and, you know, local paramilitary groups and, you know, freedom fighters, you know? Yeah. That's cowardice. I mean, you got people who are fighting for their lives and for the lives of others who are, it's just, a, it's just unjust. You know, um, whereas like like my father was in Vietnam. So like war is very near to me. Mm-hmm. And he unlike I didn't realize this was a thing, but a lot of veterans didn't say anything. 
I didn't know that because my dad told me pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. I I could literally do a whole podcast just on my dad's experiences in Vietnam and and abroad being in the Air Force for 25 years. And that's another thing about me. I'm so peaceful in general. Like I specifically I've have not been in a fist fight as an adult even further. I haven't been in any sort of physical altercation since I was 7 years old, which sounds like a funny age to go to, but I can I can pinpoint that's when mm-hmm. I joined martial arts. Gotcha. I actually was kind of a violent kid before that. Now, I wasn't a bully. I was larger than most people. So it was one of those things where I was like the big, soft giant. Yeah. And um, I was too nice. I think that's why, you know, I can even tell like my mom's still disappointed that I'm not, you know, I think every mom, you know, wishes that, you know, her son was still her little boy, you know, but yeah. I can even see aside from that, that she's slightly disappointed that, uh, I'm kind of an asshole. Now I, I don't, you know, I don't go out of my way to try to be that way. But that's also honestly a part of what some people refer to as toxic masculinity. Yeah. Is the same thing that is a part of our nature that is a, a a protective guard. Now if it go if it steps over and toxic masculinity does something that's like offensive and hurting other people and like you know terrorizing, that's one thing. But that nature of like holding frame and not allowing people to cross you or like setting standards and things like that or like having strict boundaries. Yeah. Not to hurt people, but to just like. You know, to for protect like, your own serenity and your own mental health and your own. Not that women don't do that, but that's a very masculine thing to do to be like, this is what we will not do. And that's especially like, that's why uh, something also to be said is because you talked about, you noticed a lot of people out there had their personal issues that they were bringing to these issues. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that's going on. As I was talking about my father, my father wasn't always there. Um, for a large part of my childhood, he wasn't, but I have this rare story where he came back into my life and I'm very fortunate for that. And especially the time he came back was during like my junior high, high school years, right when people start getting into mischief. I did have my, and I was, I was raised in a way that I don't think I would have gone completely astray anyway, but I definitely think that I benefited from having my father in the house and having like, just having that masculine energy around me and also someone that like, not, I, one of the worst things ever to me was like um, disappointing my mom. And that's still something I don't want to do. Yeah. Even though we all eventually do it and you have to do it as just your own person. You just have to be who you are. But having that man around, there is something that there is something to be said of having a man in, in a father in, in a child's life, especially like a young man. And we do know that in underprivileged uh, societies, although it's not exclusive to that, but especially in underprivileged and more specifically black communities, the fatherlessness is almost ubiquitous. It's like unbelievable. It's almost, it's every, you know, we see it when people accept awards, you know, I want to thank God. I want to thank my mom. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like almost never the dad because the dad wasn't there. So many people hate their father. And that is also indicative of where we're at right now, where there is something to be said of like the lack of balance in family structure and how that makes people act out. Like even in not strictly uh, uh, in underprivileged or even black communities, I just watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary like just two days ago. In mm-hmm. fact, I watched it right after Beasts of No Nation. It was a very intense night. <laughs> you know, I mean, I watched the whole thing, bro. And yo, that dude was wild. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but I haven't seen it yet. I've heard. Yeah, I'm not a football dude, but goddamn. <laughs> Yo, 
Like I was intrigued from beginning to end, all aspects of it, and it just keeps going. It just un- and you think you know, like they said on MTV Diary, you know, you think you know, you have no idea. Like that dude was everything, but his father, his father was there. His father was very controlling, and he was abusive, but also his his father was his rock, and his father died when he was sixteen. Yeah, and not that that is the only thing. But it is the beginning of a crazy spiral for him. Yeah. He already had problematic uh, behavior before that, but it just went into free fall after that. And that's a common thing. And there's plenty of people who are raised by single mothers and be like, you know, hey, you know, I, I was right. Da, 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 I did all these things. And who are you? To, you know, it's almost like you're disrespecting the mother. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I was also raised by a single mother for years, you yeah. know, and you know was on child support and everything so i'm not speaking from some high ground of i grew up in a perfect family i'm saying that there is something that can't replace that and it's indicative that's also why you have people kind of acting outlandish sometimes because it's the frustration of that systemic itself like the follow fatherlessness is not just a matter of deadbeat dads it's not just always that it's also that's a part of institutional racism when we start to look at like things like government housing section eight we start looking at the relationship between impoverished people and social workers not to demonize social workers but the the system more so yeah there's a movie that came out in the 1970s called Claudine, which starred uh, James Earl Jones, and I actually forget the lady's name, but the point was it perfectly illustrated what it is something I was unaware of for a long time, is that we always, we, it's often like welfare queens have been made a, a fun of, and people always talk about, you know, ghetto baby mamas and all that other stuff, but the thing is, the black family specifically was systematically destroyed where um, you had a lot of black men who couldn't get jobs you had the communities you know uh, you know being impoverished and everything but also what was bad was it wasn't as simple as absentee fathers as like i don't want to raise my kid what you had was where women had to and it's not only black women but it's predominantly uh, actually there's a lot of white women on welfare too uh and you know having to have government assistance but the thing is um in the hood they kept fathers out of the house. You actually couldn't get the economic assistance that you needed. So James Earl Jones's character was like a stepdad who came in and he really loved this woman and she had all these kids and he actually wanted to take care of him. He was a hardworking man and he and he really wanted to be there, but he had to hide every time the social worker came in. And I've read stuff about it in books since. It's like, yeah, that's a thing. And I've heard in lectures people talking about how like in the 60s and 70s, Right before, you know, a decade, you know, 10 to 20 years before the crack epidemic hits, which also destroys black families, you literally had where people had to hide that they had a whole family out there or the dad had to live somewhere else just because they couldn't make enough money given their situation. And also because crime is so rampant in underprivileged societies, maybe he's an ex-con. So he can't find employment, but he wants to, or, you know, so he's selling drugs or he's doing, he's hustling, he's doing things, not because he's glorifying that, but because that's the only option he has. And so then he goes to jail and it's this whole thing where we can't just demonize deadbeat. There are definitely dads that just are, are shit. Yeah, of course. But it's deeper than that. And I think that what does that have to do with the protests and the killing and all that stuff today? It has a lot to do with it also because people act differently 
there is something to be said. There are so many female warriors around the world and they're needed and that energy is so powerful. But we need men and women. And there's nothing that can replace either masculine or feminine energy. And I understand it's a spectrum and people express differently, but I'm saying people who present as masculine and people who present as feminine. Um, I, I can, it's a known thing that people will act a certain way if they know there's not a man in the house. And women have definitely spoken out about this, about how they get treated different. It's like, oh, you, like my voice doesn't matter enough yeah. just because, you know, you know, you had to have a man co-sign me. And unfortunately, with the way the world is, sometimes women don't get the equal respect unless there's a man there. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's right, but I've been a victim of that. Like, I was assaulted as a child, not molested. I was assaulted physically by a neighbor because I was playing around on his truck. And my mom and I were re- revisiting this recently. First of all, he didn't know my mom was watching. She did see this and then she came and she didn't even tell him off immediately because she was so livid. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of why I didn't react, you know, recently because I'm afraid of who I really am in a moment of rage. My mom didn't do it, but she told him off like a few days later in yeah. front and like to the point where people came out of their houses. But the thing is, she even told him and we talked about this now that I'm a man, I can understand like my father wasn't around. He did that, one, because he didn't know that anyone was watching in my family. Anyone else could have been watching. He didn't care because yeah. we lived in, you know, whatever. But he did it because he thought we, my family wasn't watching, but also he knew there was no man. If he knew that there was a man that could whoop his ass or at least give him... Yeah, just challenge him. Yeah, because yeah. the way he was looking at it, and there is, and there are a lot of especially traditional people that look at it like, you know, it's just a woman over there, you know, I'll do what I want. That's not right, but that's how people... That's yeah. just the way things are. And so what you have is people... So let's look at the black community. As a whole, there are a lot of fathers who are still there and we need to acknowledge them, but largely there's like absentee fathers and you have to look at that the microcosm is my example of where i was attacked because he knew that there was no man to step up to him now imagine if you know as a power structure that these people have a destabilized family and they don't have a strong um empowered masculine energy to balance out the you know with the feminine energy that is just as important you're an easy target at that point yeah from the perspective of someone who's a predator. That's heavy. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, there, there seems to be so many factors just throughout history that have all compounded and just been swelling for so long. And, you know, now everything just seems to be finally coming to a head but the the thing i start to worry about is how quickly people forget shit Mm -hmm. you know and how conveniently people can forget things and move on to the next thing that will get them more likes on social media or that will get them more attention or will get them a pat on the back (laughs) like you're a good person because you posted a black square on your instagram yes uh, that you are, you know, not racist because you have posted a black square on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. These convenient <laughs> uh, ways, you know, everybody wants to support until it becomes inconvenient. 
service is not convenient. Hmm. You know what I mean? And and it just, it's not. And, you know, it's one of the big things I learned just through recovery is that if you want to participate in, in these kinds of things, you have to be of service. And there's no, there's not one time where service has been convenient for me. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, it has to be you going out of your way. It has to be you giving your time or your energy or your money or educating yourself or, or speaking out or doing something that you know is right. Even when other people don't think it's right, you know? Um, and just how quickly people can forget. If you look at COVID people fucking, what, what have you heard about it? No, not Reese, not too much. (laughs) You know, it it, it creeps in here and there, but it's definitely not the new. There we go. The new cycle takes over, but then I'm just worried. Like, what? What's the next new cycle that's going to happen? That and then this is going to get buried under that. Exactly. And and I would say, uh, we are wary of that. Uh, especially people that know history, and and this ain't the first go round. I think you know the young people, the younger people are the ones that also are the ones that put a lot of energy behind all this. I mean, at the end of To Pimp a Butterfly, you know, there's a conversation between Tupac and Kendrick, and he talks about, you know, basically how a black man in America usually is only able to, you know, he's like, you don't see no loud mouth motherfuckers that are 30 and up. You know, it's a bit hyperbolic, if you will, but in general, it is true that it's like the warrior class is like younger and because they have so much going for them and they're just, they got the energy and the testosterone and, and you know, women too, but I'm saying, especially like for men, you know, is what he was talking about. Um, Because you're also getting conditioned uh, into uh, learning. Oh, maybe I shouldn't speak up and things like that. But those of us, you know, so there's a lot of people who are outraged because this is their first time seeing things. Uh, but for someone like myself, who's now got about 30 years of being like, oh, this is our plight. And I'm still angry. I'm still sad. I'm still scared. I got followed by a cop the other day and I was, you know, doing everything right. And it did cross my mind. The interesting thing was at that time, and I'm going to relate this to what you were just saying too, but like um, my band member who runs our Twitter, he was actually like, he actually had a message and he I appreciate his humility to ask me, like, you know, he wanted to say something about it. He felt like we shouldn't be silent about it. And he didn't want to be. And he actually had a message and he went, he ran it by me and what I thought. Interestingly enough, in the time that he had texted me, I had been followed by a cop for like three miles. And at first I, I was just like, you know, just be normal. But it's like a thing. You know, it's like sometimes they just end up behind you. That's no thing. Like you're being paranoid. Yeah. But then when like several lanes open up. Yeah. And they're still behind you you've passed all these exits and they're keeping their safe distance, but close enough to, you know, they're there. And I've been followed before and I've had the, whoop, you know, and, and I didn't do anything. I've had them lie to me before. I've had a few situations where I definitely feared for my life. And so it's, it's, it's real. Like, um, while my bandmate 
and he's admitted, like, I don't know what it's like. I've never, like, feared interactions with police. Like, I've, I don't necessarily always feel comfortable around them, but not like you do. And I'm like, true. And he's been in stops with us. You know, we've been pulled over on tour before. And he's noticed, like, I react differently than he does. I have to go through this whole thing to center myself and also make sure I'm not making no sudden movements and stuff like that. And I'm aware of And we've been in those situations. But while he's figuring out how to say this thing, I'm literally, like, hoping that this isn't one of those crazy racist cops that's going to pull me over for nothing and escalate the situation knowing that i'm not doing anything yeah that's like where we're at so it's like you talk about convenience it is very convenient to do blackout tuesday which i do respect it did feel good to see that people the intent is there and i mean you gotta do something you know and it is important i think we have more allies than we've ever had before and that's important to have that level of unity um at the same time, history has shown me to remain vigilant of who's true. And a lot of people are doing because it's just the wave. And that's not doesn't make them bad people either. It's just it's the nature. We also have short attention spans at this point, you know. And with the news cycle, with social media, everything is just about, you know, algorithms and things like that. They yeah. could wipe this whole thing out like in a week or two in terms of not what's happening, but in terms of how it gets reported. This yeah. stuff is always happening. But if they want to make something else, or like for instance, there's all these earthquakes that's just been happening around Yellowstone. That could be Armageddon, you know? Yeah. Uh, January. I remember in Christmas, there was the Christmas surprise. We were supposed to get nuked by North Korea again, even though we'd already mended things with them through Dennis Rodman. And then it cooled out. And then January again, right before Kobe, we were going to get nuked by North Korea. Oh, shit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And we're always like, pissed off with like China and Russia and there's all there's always something and if Australia was burning California is burning it's always something you know like we lost all these jobs we're having mass unemployment at a level that we've never seen it you know we're heading into something worse than the Great Depression it hasn't even fully hit yet yeah holy shit like there's always something that they can get us worried and riled up about so it's like yeah there's even right before this, there was like the killer hornets or some shit. Yep. You know what I mean? There's the, always something, some wild shit yeah. going on, no matter what. Yeah. It's even funny when you when you look back at like things you totally forgot about that was just the complete topic of conversation uh, uh, or the, the, the fucking news cycle that was happening. Um, and that's the most important thing at that time. You need to know, you know, like you depend on us. We must tell yeah. you where it's happening, how it's happening. We don't know where it's going. Stay tuned for more details. We'll be right back after these messages. You know, yeah. it's like, damn, bro, they got you locked in Pavlov's dog. And that I would, I, I, I don't want to interrupt what may be like, I feel like you have like an arc coming. I feel like you about to. No, I don't. Okay. Okay. Well, I was going to say there's this video that's been circulating and this one good thing that happens during unrest, and this is one reason why I enjoy aspects of chaos, is everything is coming out. And that is good. It's bad, but it's good. Everything's coming out. Like, this has been the time of revealing. I think that, um, and I would like to get specific about what I mean, but even just the fact of people exposing the agent provocateurs as they're doing it, that hasn't happened as consistently and as widespread as I've seen before. Like, it's always been like a theory, and that's a conspiracy theory thing. Yeah. It's like, you think, oh, yeah, there might be people. It's like, no, it is an inside job. There's real people, and then there's the other people. Yeah. And that's 
that also means to clarify that there are genuine allies and people shouldn't assume that just because a white person is helping out doesn't mean that they're a part of the enemy, you know, like it's because that's also a part of the plan. The division is even within it, when people become aware that they're putting white people out there through Antifa and other things like that to cause disruption or undercover cops, it's like, well, then that makes, you know, black people kind of look at like, should we trust the white allies? And that's not the move either. See, that's a game too, to make you distrust the people that are there to help you. Yeah. You know, it's game. So it just seems like there's all, there's, there's, there's just, there's so much, there's so much corruption and misinformation and bullshit Mm. that it's hard to, it's hard to, I, I, I I really hated the term fake news, but I mean, I mean, He's, he wasn't, he wasn't, <clears throat> that concept is not incorrect. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but it's on, it's on all sides. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got uh, a, a reason. And the, the thing that that's tough. And I was talking about this with the, with the COVID stuff is that it seemed like there was a lot of businesses where, you know, it's like, oh, well, we have to have people wear face masks. And it's like, you really have to wear, have fucking people wear face masks for everything. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, if, if one business doesn't have people wear face masks and someone on Twitter sees that and they don't really give a fuck about it, but mm. you know what they do know is if they, if they post about it, they're going to get a lot of likes and a lot of retweets by other people who know if they retweet it, that they're going to have, uh, that people are going to think of them a certain way mm-hmm. where it's like, you don't really fucking care that much. Right. But it's, it's this whole wave of things happening just because people want more likes and they want to build their brand and they want to solidify their, their fucking spot in, you know, the social media space or virtue, <laughs> virtue signal. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's all these, these trends and these things that happen just because, and not really because people give a fuck. Mm. You know, more because people care about wanting to push a narrative because it looks good. Perception. And that's that's where, although it's maybe an overused um, reference point, but it is always the most applicable. The Matrix. Everything just seems to come back to that. It's like the Kevin Bacon of films when it comes <laughs> to society, man. Like, yeah. it's just like, yo, The Matrix, because that's the whole thing. Everybody's plugged in, but they're not really there. Yeah. And that's where we're at right now. And actually, I didn't understand that the first few times. I Definitely the first time, maybe two or three times. It was later. I was like, oh, like, they're not actually there. <laughs> you know, like, that was a trip to me. Like, this is a simulation. What? Or this is like your mind or what? You know, it was, it was this whole thing. But what I was saying is the revealing. So fake news is out there. And that's a lot of it. But the other thing is the real shit is out. And I love that. And one thing that is happening in relationship to all this chaos, chaos is not in here. I keep bringing up that term, but I think it's just something for people to be aware of and to actually study um, how it works or even how fractals work. You know, if you start looking at like just the seeming randomness of life still has some inherent order. Yeah. And uh, go back to that whole water analogy, but something very specific that came out that I've been aware of, you know, if I must be a hipster about, you know, my (laughs) conspiracy theory awareness, uh, there's this video that's been circulating on the internet for shit, you know, however long I saw it in like 2007 and there's a clip from it. And there's this former KGB agent, uh, anybody listening, if you're not familiar with KGB, that's basically uh, Russia's CIA. Um, 
And so this dude was being interviewed in 1984, and I can't remember his name, but it's a very popular clip in certain circles. You can find it. And um, he had this whole thing about, you know, this is in the middle of the, or towards the end of the Cold War. And basically something that my father always said is relates to this video. Something my father always remembered, you know, Gorbachev was one of the guys in charge of Russia back in the day during the Cold War. And my dad never forgot. And also one of my old school neighbors always brought up that they were, you know, they always saw Russia as a threat. And they always brought up that uh, Gorbachev said that, to paraphrase, that um, they will essentially take over the United States without firing a bullet. And they like that sent chills that especially if you were, you know, in certain agencies or if you know certain things about intelligence, it's like, yo, they're telling you, you know, take it how you want it. But this dude broke it down. This ex-KGB agent, it's like an hour long talk, but there's this clip circulating right now. And this dude breaks down the destabilization of society and talks about the stages of it and how long it usually takes and how there are intelligence agencies that have been studying like, and this is where things like MK Ultra, which is of course, you know, um, a program that is related to LSD and all these mm-hmm. other mind, it, literally MK is mind control, the K being from like the German spelling because there was a lot of stuff, you know, we, we took a lot of Nazi, yeah. <laughs> you know, science. NASA. Yeah, you know, hey. a... <laughs> Exactly, NASA, Nazi, Nazi, whatever. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we took a lot of that science, still use it. And, but part of it was mind control because that, you know, we know uh, Hitler's Germany was definitely mind control yeah. and, and mass. So everybody learned from that and shared, you know. And so they study psychology of people and he was breaking down about, and they've studied the history of uh, how society breaks down and how you you know, use propaganda. Um, There's actually a book called Propaganda that was written by Edward Bernays in 1920. Like people say he wrote the book on on something. He literally wrote the book on propaganda. It's like the beginning point. And it actually was the basis of a lot of early um, advertising, which is very interesting when you start realizing there is a a heavy relationship between advertising, social engineering, mental conditioning and mental, uh, mind control. It's all different terms for the same beast. Yeah, if you look at subliminal messaging, mm. mm-hmm. and, exactly. you know, things like that in certain ways, the way certain sounds make you feel and the way certain colors make you react and uh, ways to make you remember shit and recall things and nostalgia and all that kind of shit. I, you know, and it's it's easy to see once you break it down. I think a lot of people do it not even knowing it. Mm. I, you know, I, I I can notice it in, in just little things that I, I forget about, you know, why certain, this is super off topic, but if you look at, you know, a lot of rappers will remix old songs, mm. beats that you grew up loving. You know what I mean? To, and really all that is is an advertisement for them. Mm. And what they're doing is plugging out nostalgia for a song that you already like and advertising off of it. You know mm, what I mean? It's just mm. like little tiny thing that they probably don't think about. They probably just think it's dope and people are going to like it, but mm. do you ever think about why are people going to like this? Mm. You know, why do people react the way they react to these certain things? For the for the record, I can't stand Wild Dots. Not the, the song by Rihanna for DJ Khaled. Not just because I'm... I'm not like rampantly, and I don't want to get too caught in the in the music part of it. But like, I'm not a, a hater of DJ Khaled. I find him very entertaining. I don't think he's 
uh, the smartest individual, but also he's figured out he's a better business person than I am. So, you know, like yeah. he's figured it out. Like he knows a lot of shit I don't know. So who am I? But I think that he's a, he's a fool in many other respects, but he's entertaining. But, and I do like some of his remixes, but particular, and I'm not the hugest Rihanna fan. I mean, I like looking at Rihanna, <laughs> but I don't care for her music, Yeah, you know? Uh, and I hate that song because I'm a huge fan of Maria Maria by Carlos Santana. Yeah. I hate that they did that to I that the first song. Time I was like, wait, what the fuck? That's so unoriginal. <laughs> oh, God, I hate it so deeply. And I, you know, wow, wow, wow. It's, but it, it wasn't it's, even made as a remix. Yeah, it's like a sample. But people don't know what it was sampled from. Yeah, they don't. And that's you know sad, I mean? dude. That's sad. They need to know. Carlos Santana, y'all product GMB. Why Clef Jean, y'all? Uh, so, uh, but you, you brought up the colors thing. And you actually made me think, have you ever seen Manchurian Candidate, the newer one? With I have not. Okay. Should definitely see it. And I'm definitely a big person on do not spoil the movie for me. So I'm not going to give away like any crazy twist at the ending or anything like All that. Right. I hate when people spoil movies for me. God, don't do it. But Manchurian Candidate, they do talk about uh, alters, which is an important term. And I think a lot of people who watch Stranger Things became aware of, I didn't realize like, oh, like if you watch Stranger Things... Like for entertainment, that's one thing. But I remember people were telling me, you should really watch. I think you'd like it. And I was like, what? But they were talking about Eleven. And they were like, I've been talking about MK Ultra since like 2006. Yeah. And I've been talking about mind control experiments and all this other stuff. And so they're kind of telling you about it in that, you know. And so uh, just bringing all of that together. And I, I started talking about Stranger Things. But Manchurian Candidate, they talk about alters and basically how you're able to compartmentalize aspects of yourself. And I think we start to understand that when we talk about multiple personality disorder. Now, some people have that just as, you know, that's just a psychological disorder that just occurs for random reasons. But also it can happen through trauma. And this is where we start looking at what's happening as like a, a large play too for the next moves. So if you start looking at it on the smaller level of like programs like MKUltra, um, they were kind of bringing that to the forefront in Manchurian Candidate and basically talking, we, we remember hearing the term sleeper cells when they were talking about, remember we were afraid of the, the Taliban? Remember that was like the yeah. worst thing in the world? Yeah. <laughs> remember Al-Qaeda was killing the entire world? We thought that, that you know, I remember Osama bin Laden was like the worst person in the world or uh, Saddam Hussein was the worst person in the yeah. world. It's always like that, like no one ever did anything worse and they have all the control we need to worry about. Anyway, that's all mind control too, but basically was talking about sleeper cells, how there's always people around who um, have been programmed to do certain things. And this is rampant in the entertainment industry. There's a lot of, I don't know if you've seen those videos of Britney. We've all seen Britney and her psychological issues, but she's not the only one that have had, like they act differently and you can say, well, it's drugs or, yeah. but also a lot of these people are victims of child abuse, uh, sex, sexual abuse at any age. But sometimes it's because these things are filled with, you know, beasts that do these crazy things to people. But also it's a part of the programming to increase suggestibility to do things in order to become a better entertainment or product or puppet. And some people are forced into uh, certain activities, ritualistic, <clears throat> excuse me, ritualistically forced into certain activities that will make them more susceptible to suggestion and to carry out certain things. And um, we don't think of it like that because it's entertainment. But when you look at the crazy things these people are doing, it's their programming that is unlocking 
But there are survivors of child abuse and um, just straight up um, crazy experiments that have occurred that aren't in the entertainment industry that have escaped and the they're damaged for life. But also what can happen is what is acknowledged in Manchurian Candidate, when you talk about colors and things like that, yeah. sometimes it's just a word. We we the word trigger, we always say, you know, trigger warning or da da da. We've talked about that. But I remember hearing the trigger in as it relates to mind control, yeah. which it's kind of funny. The way that people overreact to things and need trigger warnings for every single thing, I don't mean to undermine everyone's sensitivity. I think there's valid ones, but sometimes I think people go a little overboard with like, can we just communicate? Like, I shouldn't have to warn you about every single thing. Like, if I'm going to show you like an extremely like violent or, you know, image or something like that, like, please tell me that, you know? But sometimes if there's just a word I can't but a say, lot of it like, that's like you know, censorship. Turn it off. You know, or why? Hmm. I don't know. Again, mm. it's one of those things where I I I don't I'm not triggered by much. Mm. I'm not really triggered by anything because you know I'm I'm if something bothers me I'll I'll turn it off. Hmm. What you a novel I mean? thought! Like, that's crazy. <laughs> if there's something that's that's, displ- that's that's displeasing to me, I yeah. will fucking I will I will not look at that. You choose not to do that anymore, right? You know what I mean? And I'm not going to be mad at the person who made it because it offended me. It's like, well, you didn't make it for me, obviously. That's not for me. You know? You, you, but, that, but that's responsibility and that's accountability and those aren't welcome in today's, in today's, we live in a society. Like, that's kind of like where we're at. It's always someone else's oh, yeah. fault. We have to take responsibility um, and to realize that a part of the ills of what are going on, we share collective responsibility for adding to the insanity. And that means that I also have to look at as much as I feel attacked by certain things, I personally have to acknowledge that I have contributed to the imbalances of society myself. And I have been wrong about things, about how I've treated people, how I've said certain things. And I think there's a lack of that accountability, self-awareness, reflection. And if COVID- You're right has afforded us the opportunity to do anything. It's definitely been time for self-reflection. If you've been quarantined for three months and yeah. didn't once just look at yourself in the mirror or just shut up and write down your thoughts or consider what you actually think, you've missed the opportunity of a lifetime. Have you been creating? What have you been during your lockdown? I have not been very creative. I've been the opposite. Um I've not been creative for the first time in my life. You know, this is a, I won't say for the first time in my life, but I mean, at this, at this juncture in my life, in this episode, uh, I haven't gone this long without like recording a song or, Uh you know, being on stage, you know, or even I hadn't even practiced. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel like an artist actually. Yeah. Um, And I've been there before. I've been disillusioned with the industry before where I was like, fuck everybody and fuck everything. I don't exist anymore. And I've fallen off completely. Yeah. Um, you've seen glimpses of that in the last year or two, but I've had like severe, like, is he okay? Has anyone seen this guy in like two or three months? And it wasn't even like I was going through the craziest depression, which I have, but it was like, it wasn't even that. It was just, I needed to just be in my own zone. So that's where I needed to like, just kind of go within and process and just, just be, um, and I think also, like, maybe you've experienced this. I, I don't know. We have different work ethics. I think mine's more periodic, mm-hmm. cyclical. You you definitely, you're a machine. You know how to work. And you, I don't think you do it, like, 
you don't wait for the inspiration. You don't allow yourself to do that. And there, that's actually an approach that I admire and have employed, uh, employed myself. Like there's a book called the war of art. I always mix it up, but there's the war of art, not the art of war, the war of art. And it does talk about how you should write something every single day as an artist, as a writer, whatever you do, should paint, do whatever you do every single day. And it's not about whether or not you feel like it, you show up regardless. And that's how you fine tune what you're doing. And you create this large bit of work, but you also have to listen to your soul. <clears throat> and my soul has been saying, just be, just figure it out. Just, yeah, it's not there. It's not there. I can't, I can't write if I don't feel, that's why I don't have many love songs because I was saying this like yesterday. I don't have many love songs because I can't just do that. I probably could, but it's, it's, it's painful to me. Um, you know, why don't you write about it? That's where inspiration comes from pain. I'm saying I can't bring myself to write about like, it has to actually be a woman that I missed. It has to be a situation I really went through. I can't manufacture situations. Um, I have though. I've written. I've written an idealistic song, and it was beautiful. It's one of the best songs I haven't even released. It's one of the better ones I've done. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm actually glad I. I was inspired though. I was inspired by the idea, but I did manufacture something I hadn't experienced. Uh, I and, do that a lot. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> valuable. Like I think that as an artist. It's there's no wrong way to go about it as long as you're being honest. Well, that's where it comes back to also. For me, I don't believe there's no. There's never a time for me where I'm I don't have any sort of inspiration. If I think that it's because I'm not it's I'm not being true to myself Hmm. or if I'm not writing what I need to be writing. You know what I mean? I feel like my heart will always lead me to write about what I need to write about. Hmm. And if I feel like I have some crazy writer's block, it's always because I'm trying to force something that's not my truth hmm. or that I'm not feeling or I'm not, I'm not, you know, a hundred percent on. And I, I have those days where I'm like, man, I'm just, I, I just, it's not here. And I mean, there are, I, I, there are days where it's just not, you know what I mean? I can't focus. It's just not there. Uh, but there's times where, you know, I'm I'm in the pocket, but just nothing's coming. And it's like, I just got to, you know, switch it up and I can change it simply by just finding a, a beat, you know what I mean? That's in the right shit about what I need to be writing about. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's where, you know, different ideas and different songs and different feelings come from for me. But uh, I, I know, you know, I was doing a lot. I was doing a lot, a lot in the very beginning of quarantine. Mm. I felt a lot of pressure to be doing a lot. Um, and I hit a wall that wasn't, it wasn't like I was not being productive. I was being extremely productive, but my mental and everything was just kind of on, on, on the, on the back burner and I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't, you know, participating in life. I wasn't doing anything. You know, I wasn't participating in like my relationship. I wasn't participating. I didn't talk to my fucking friends Mm. and it made it easier because of the fucking quarantine you know, I just wasn't handling what I needed to handle on my end. And I hit a wall where I just had to take a few days off and just mm-hmm. completely, you know, reboot uh, or, you know, try to reboot or try and, you know, try to find a little more balance in what I'm doing and try to find happiness in what I'm doing. Because, you know, there there was a point where I'm like, this isn't fun. I'm not, I don't like this, man. I feel like I have to be writing mm-hmm. and I'm not enjoying myself. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's crazy what, what a little reboot can do. And when you, you know, 
come back, you know, a little more fresh and a little more taken care of, but it's been important for me to, to stay, to stay busy, but uh, that's kind of, I'm always like that though. But a lot of that is, you know, fear-based, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's, it's, the quarantine has, has been, you know, both good and bad. It obviously has had, had its downsides and shit like that. But I, you know, personally I've, I've benefited in just being able to work a lot, but I would have done that anyways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that's you. I mean, you, you stay about it. Um, you know, it's interesting. You said your truth and I talked about honesty. Um, and I just now realized that says stranger things over there. (laughs) You know, I I was talking about it. Um, you know, one of the things is like, as an artist is, you know, I said honest and truth, but the thing is, it doesn't necessarily have to be, the truth and i think that's something that you know it's interesting coming from like a hip-hop perspective because it's all about keeping it real you know but a lot you know if if hip-hop really wants to keep it real hip-hop hasn't kept it real and and sometimes that's not cool a lot of times that's not cool but a lot of times that's okay too like i don't need everything to be exactly what it was because as an artist you're there to speak for things that you can't usually do in normal life and you're supposed to bring out those feelings that's what it is music is feeling well and you don't look past the 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 surface perspective of what you know what i mean when i say maybe i have a truth i need to write about and then i end up writing a song about uh you know i thought i had writer's block the other day and i ended up writing i wrote the song about um being haunted you know the whole song is about living in a house that's haunted you're haunted by uh the memory of a person that you just broke up with, mm. you know, cause sometimes when you break up with somebody, it feels like the death of a friend, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yes. And so the whole song, you know, I'm not going through that. That's not my truth at the moment, huh. but there's something underlying in there where I have an insecurity about, uh, you know, losing something that I have. I know what that would feel like. I've had certain feelings like that before. And those are just things that are maybe inside of me that I haven't tapped into, but are subconsciously there that need to be spoken about or I just need to get out, whatever it is. And a lot of times that even comes back to, you know, if you talk about like the braggadocious type rap type shit like that, like, you know, someone on the surface would be like, well, what kind of truth is that? Well, if you look at the underlying, like maybe, maybe I need a confidence boost. Mm. You know what I mean? Maybe Mm. I need to talk (laughs) myself up. Maybe Mm. I feel insecure and I need to, you know, flex just to feel good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Why do you go to the gym? So you look good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe I have to flex on some shit. So I feel good about myself. Mm. And it's just, it's a, it's, you know, I, I like to do that shit. That's natural. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's so many underlying things, especially with, with music stuff, but it's, I think it's also, it's just important to not, to focus on the art of it is, is super important, you know, yeah. especially when you get into the, the the business shit and then oh, it just man. fucking goes completely out the window. Oh man, what is what is that? They don't they don't hey they do not uh like Michael Jackson said they don't really care about us or as Pac said, you know, uh, they don't give a fuck about us, you know, however you want to go about it. I was thinking about Pac too, you know, Pac too. I did not mean that. <laughs> Freudian Sliznip, uh, you know, with Pac one of my greatest inspirations, I've always loved him. And uh, even with all of his flaws, you know what I mean? Like, almost because of sometimes, you know. Um, super emotional dude. Um, 
I'm not like he is. I think that he was a little too wild, and that's an understatement. I think that he, I think he kind of brought on a lot of his own demise. To be honest, like especially as I look at him as a as a man, I'm like, he would be my little homie now. You know, if if I knew him, I would take him aside. I'd be like, hey, bro, like you gotta you gotta slow down, man. Like I understand that I'm not yeah. in your position. I don't have the money and fame that you have, but. Like we need you, like and I and I know it's exciting, and you feel like you're being honest, and you come from this whole legacy of everything. But you need, I'm telling you, as your OG, like be here for us when I'm not here. Like please, like just think about what you're doing and how this affects people. Um, but also, that's his recklessness is what created this this beautiful and sometimes ugly uh, legacy that we have to look at. But one of the things about Pac was, you know. People have exposed that he wasn't necessarily gangster as people thought he was. But then there's people who really knew him, like Scarface, like, that motherfucker was crazy. He'll show up to your house. Like, he was for yeah. real. But the thing was, you could, you know, push it to him being a Gemini. You know, not everyone's into all that. But he definitely was about being a Gemini. But I've, as someone who, like, my ex was a Gemini, my mom is, everyone has capability for being emotional and chaotic but gemini's tend to really lean into that whether or not they're aware of their astrology they yeah. often are i mean i'll just list right now prince trump kanye Pac, lauren hill i'll stop right there <laughs> you know what i'm saying and i'll show yeah. you a list of other erratic you know wild people but i'm just saying there's a tendency just it's the way they operate there, but they're they're hot and cold. It's the Gemini's, the the twins. It's like, but also they're the nicest. Sometimes they're the nicest, most caring people. And it's like you kind of have to be ready for those waves, those up and down. Somebody be like, Why aren't you just describing someone who's bipolar? Well, it's interesting that Gemini's are represented by two, you know? Yeah. Um, but there's something to be said of Pac, and I think about it, um, Pac didn't necessarily come up a gangster, even in fact, in his documentary Resurrection, there's people who remember him and he tried to sell drugs for a little while. And the, the local dealers was like, no, no, no. Like he did it for like a week and they're like, get the fuck out of here. Like, we'll take care of you. Like, but don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, this isn't for you. Yeah. And that's the part you don't hear about rappers. Like, it's always like, yeah, I sold the most dope. I was pushing keys. And, you know, he didn't. He didn't. He wasn't built for it. Tech Nine talks about that, too. He's talked about he tried to sell drugs for a little while. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think 57th Street Road Dog Villains took care of him, you know, made sure, you know, just keep rapping, bro. They say, you a gangster, but you are not a drug dealer, you know? Uh, but Pac, Pac has a song on uh, 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 Better Days, Better Days. It's on his Better Days album. Yeah. And there's a part, it's just the way he hit. It's just the way it hit. It's not even like about, it's the feeling of Pac. There's a part that says, plus we about to get evicted. It's just the way, just that line, I felt that. I never been evicted. I never, you know, I lived with my parents for a long time. You know, I didn't even have to worry about paying rent, even as an adult for some time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had financial struggles, you know, throughout my adult life. And then I've had times of I'm living pretty, <laughs> you know, it's, it, yeah. it's, but it hasn't been constant for me. But I've never been in that situation where like I just didn't pay rent or something like that. Or I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't have a home. But way he said that. But also Pac is talking about a relationship he wasn't even in. If you really look at, you know, I think Pac was homeless for a little while. But uh He's talking about like it's him and he realizes it's a situation he's never even been in. Or he has a song called uh, Letter to My Unborn, which is on the Until the End of Time album. 
He never had children as far as we're aware of, you know? And it's like, and he kind of went in it like that was powerful. He spoke to his unborn children, but he talked to, but the way he talked to it was like he's holding his baby. He's like, he's talking, he's, he never had kids and he's talking in a way that you would think only a father could speak. That's why I think that, you know, hip hop has to be careful or people in general who get caught up in art, artistic authenticity being the, the litmus test for the validity of something. It's like, it can still be honest. Have you seen uh, Chappelle's Mark Twain Award special on Netflix? Yeah. I didn't watch the entire thing. But you, you've you just seen clips. I watched clips there. on YouTube before it went on Netflix. Oh, okay, cool. I'm, I saw it. Um, I just watched it recently in its entirety. I was kind of traumatized because I was watching his acceptance speech and then Cameron Calloway called me to tell me that Kobe died. So I've been evading it because I was <laughs> like, yeah. okay. yo. Trigger. Yeah. <laughs> that was a heavy ass moment so like i wanted to watch it because Chappelle's one of my favorite people ever <clears throat> but i watched it the whole thing and it was a beautiful night have you seen his acceptance speech yeah i think i watched most of it okay well just you know to paraphrase him he talked about how like this is the most honest art art form and he's like i'm not talking about the content but stand-up comedy comedy like this is the most honest art form and i actually as someone who's not a comedian didn't take offense to that i'm not you know i'm oh you know rappers could do this or singers could painters whatever if that's how he feels and honestly the idea of just saying whatever you want they do have a certain freedom that a lot of us don't have like even as a rapper like if you're you know we have to like make sure not everyone has the ability to do banter correctly and you can over talk at a show you know yeah you can say the wrong thing you know what i'm saying so it's like they have the freedom to say whatever. They don't need the music. They can just talk for yeah. two, three, four hours, whatever. And that there is a certain freedom to that. And they can take you, they can change the subject, they can do whatever, you know? So it's like, um, but he was talking about, I disagree with comedians on things, but it's the the medium is so honest. And I think that's what I was talking about is like, that's kind of like where we have to come at it from art. It doesn't mean that you have to tell the truth as an artist. You just have to tell a truth, your truth, something that's honest to the intention. And that's kind of our job. And that's, that's why I think, you know, you you know how many people I've had, I've had way too many people during all this shit. If I post anything like, Oh, I can't wait to hear you write something about this. And I'm like, this is not my fucking song to write, dude. If you mm. think it is, then I don't, I don't get you. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, you mean like this? You mean like in the past week with the, yeah. the I'm like, why the fuck? Yo, Come on, man. Nah. Wow. Uh, that's heavy. Yeah. Um, but there, there, and then there's there, you know, I just think it's important to, to be genuine. And if, if you're not, people can tell it's, it's very easy to tell when, when you're not being true to yourself. And it feels wrong when you listen to it. It doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It doesn't hit the same, but it always hits right if you're if you're being honest. You know what I mean? That that is an example. If I could just jump in real quick, entertainment. You know, actually, there's this YouTube channel I love called Really Graceful. I love that channel, and uh, it's this lady who breaks down what's going on in, in the world all the time, and very interesting. She has like very soft countenance she has such a sweet voice and it's almost like it's 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 almost sinister how polite she is yeah. it's it's presented very i'm 
I'm amazed at how she does this thing. And she tells some really hardcore truths with a smile on her face, but she's like breaks it down and she backs up what she's saying. But um it's 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 just kind of interesting um how it, it, she uh exposed entertainment, I believe, in one of the videos and put up the definition of like entertainment. And it was kind of interesting to kind of it is important to break down the etymology of words. I remember I got really obsessed about that in 2011. Etymology being, you know, the source, the origin, and like the path of words, like knowing what the core of it is, and also how words change over time. Hmm. And because they do have power, and also how we're kind of, she wasn't saying this, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but uh, you've heard people talk about how like we cast spells. You know, especially, you know, rappers always talk about, you know, being a wizard with words and things like that. But like, yeah. we really do cast spells when we speak. Um, there is something to be, and you can see it. We know it better, I think, than most people because we've both like talked to crowds and taken them to the verge of tears or make hundreds or thousands of people crack up at the same time, you mm -hmm. know, or just like feel strong. Like, yeah, you know, that's, we put a spell on them. Yeah. For real. Like, that's magic. That's actual magic. That's abracadabra in real life. But there's there's ways that that's done, you know, back to subliminal messaging and things like that, that are, are, it's done on purpose. But it's interesting how people are saying to bring it all together. You know, you're saying that people are like, I'd love to hear you. And I think people come, of course, from a great place. And I know yeah, you know that. Like, that's just love for you. But there, that's kind of the danger of becoming, we're all clowns in this circus. And I say this in the most respectful way because I worked with a lot of clowns at Rose Rabbit Lie and uh, it changed my perspective on that. Not that I like just looked down on clowns, but you know, we always have like negative connotations, but I know clowns and it's interesting. It's like, it's not what, it, it totally broadened my mind about what the definition of a clown is. Yeah. Maybe that's also why I became even heavier into Joker after I worked with them, you know, because it's like, it's, it's so many aspects to it. But that being said, we are, you know, are you not entertained? We are so programmed into being entertained. And that is kind of a problem because it's like we're being, the news is entertainment. And, and yeah. that's why it's so sensational. And you feel sensations because they're playing on your emotions like musical chords. So it's like they know that they're casting spells with the images and the words and the tones and everything like that. Uh, even like the pace at which they speak, you know, they say it in a certain way that's very official da, 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 and they say it at a certain pace or they, you know, they affect being somber, all these things to guide us through this grand symphony of emotions in order to make us act in a certain way. And we have to have the self-awareness to realize that even someone asking you or saying they can't wait to hear you talk about this crazy tragedy that you're trying to process, even though they mean well, that's kind of an example of how we've been trained to be entertained. And it's like we and I've been a lot of comics have this where it's like they can't see anything without immediately thinking of the joke. It's a gift and a curse. Yeah. Especially tragedy and things like that. Like they'll see and they, they see the joke and everything. And that's a gift. It's also a curse because like they can't just genuinely feel something all the time like it, there always has to be the twist the angle and i've been annoyed by that where i got in a vibe I was like this is a song that's a lyric and i've gotten to a point where i was like i was on a roll and it was great creatively but i wasn't allowing myself to be the human the yeah spirit. you're not really processing what exactly is going on yeah you're right. people do want to be entertained people always people don't want to be bored people want what they want they want to get it now and they want to always have you know interaction and they want to be 
told how to feel. You know what I mean? That's a lot of people look to people uh, that they admire or that they, you know, listen to. And, you know, I've, I've, I remember when I was growing up, I did the same shit. Mm-hmm. If something, something was going on and I was growing up, it was a lot of George Bush shit. Mm-hmm. And it would always be like, I can't, you know, you would almost look to people when you weren't informed to inform you and the people that you respect and look up to, you want them to inform you on their opinion and see how they feel. So you know how to feel, Mm -hmm. uh, which isn't really healthy because you're not developing your own opinion. Mm. Um, but I get that as to, as to people wanting, you know, tell me how, tell me how to feel. Tell me what, you know, how I, tell me when to go, (laughs) (laughs) how how to feel about this stuff. And I'm, I'm at the point where, especially with my music, I've always wanted my music to be an escape from all the bullshit. Mm. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't really talk about, you know, political stuff or, or things like that. There's, there's other, I'm not educated enough man, Hmm. to give my opinion, Hmm. you know, that's real. And you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take my opinion. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'll, I, I like to talk about the things that I know, the things I like and the things I feel because you can't really argue that. And if you feel the same way, then, then you'll get it. So that's, you know, I have had a lot, maybe that's why I've been able to write so much because I have had a lot of emotions just in general. It's not really pointed at any one direction or one certain circumstance or, or thing, but I have had a lot of emotions just been able to write. And thankfully, you know, my, my whole team, which is like two people, but we've all been kind of, you know, working a lot, which has been, it's been nice, but it's, uh, it's a lot. Yeah. I'm ready to take a break. Yeah. I actually gotta go to Beth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to, uh, you want to, let's just wrap it up. Yeah. What time is it? Five, 10. Cool. I will wrap this up. I'm, I'm, we got definitely got to do this again really soon. Yes. Um, yes. if you want to find Rasar online, tell him where to find you. Uh, go ahead and check me out uh, on Instagram. I'm most well. I'm not always active, but you know, Rasar Music, R A S A R Music, or you can check out my band, The Leak, and it's at The Leak Band. That's spelled L I Q U E the T H E L I Q U E Band B A N D. So Rasar Music or The Leak Band, you can find us on you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're not on Snapchat, and we're of course on all other uh, you know streaming things. We got albums and things like that. We're on YouTube. So. Um, yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, bro. Like this is such an important moment and I'm so glad to have you as a friend. Yeah. And, um, I really, I'm glad that you have this situation where we can, we can share like this and also that I can talk to you off the mic too. Like we've had some great phone calls and, um, yeah, I do look forward to doing this more often. Yeah, absolutely. I want to, try i i know i need i i got in like album mode and then uh i i fucking just fell off with doing these episodes as much but now that that's you know wrapping up i'm gonna try and get back into uh doing more of these and and trying to to keep on a more consistent basis i think it's important i'd also eventually like to do a song with you let me know man <laughs> yeah no pressure right you know i'm just like yeah you could do a no, song with me it, but man. yeah i, I yeah. i'm i'm, I'm so down word up word up I've, I've been in a place where i haven't been able to do it but i can feel it coming and i know it's i'm becoming an artist again i can feel it even if you got a beat just fucking send it to me man all right i'll record i'll send it back to you and then you know what i mean get a fucking rolling yeah especially yeah because I'm, I'm putting out this album and then 
I, I, I just, I'm going to start putting out songs randomly again. So I think that would just be great to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm always down. Definitely dope, man. So, all right, guys. Uh, hope everybody's safe out there and, and, you know, doing what you can to take care of your own mental health and take care of your own shit. And if you're not, take a little moment, uh, you know, check in with yourself, see how you're feeling, see how you're feeling about everything that's going on. A lot of times we get stuck on autopilot. We don't really think about the actions that we're doing or why we're doing what we're doing or why we feel the way we feel. We kind of just act on our feelings. I'm a victim of that as well. It's always nice to kind of take a few minutes to uh, step back and reflect and see what the fuck's going on inside. And, uh, you know, I hope you can do that. And I hope uh, you're staying safe out there. And if you're protesting, you're, you're safely protesting. You're peacefully protesting. If you're not, you're, you're uh, just doing what you can to, to keep your own shit together. So uh, this has been another episode of I'm Not Sick But I'm Not Well, and we will see you motherfuckers soon. All right, peace. (laughs)